This is Pat Sinecropi, Executive Director of the Water Reuse Association, and you're listening to the Water Values Podcast. The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations. By Xylem, Let's Solve Water. By the American Water Works Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. By Black & Veatch, Building a World of Difference. By Trinex, Trust in What's Next. By Mentor APM, Intelligent Asset Management Software, Built for Water. By Woodard & Curran, High Quality Consulting Engineering, Science and Operations Services. And by Intera, Innovation and Stewardship for a Sustainable Tomorrow. This is Session 237. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thank you so much for joining me. We have a terrific show for you today. We've got Shannon Quinn and Elizabeth Kinney of Procter & Gamble discussing how P&G aims to secure a water-positive future. They'll discuss the array of programs PG has, and very importantly, the partnerships PG has to further that goal. Shannon and Elizabeth do a great job, and I guarantee you'll enjoy the interview. Well, as you know, we always say thank you to our terrific sponsors at the top of every show, Xylem, the American Waterworks Association, Black & Veatch, Trinix, Mentor APM, Woodard & Curran, and Intera. And that, my friends, is a terrific collection of impactful companies that have decided to support water industry thought leadership and education. And I thank you all. And I'd like for you, the listener, to please do me a favor. If you work for or with any of those sponsors, please thank your boss or thank your contact at the sponsor firm and tell them that you appreciate their leadership in the industry through the sponsorship. That simple little note of, that simple little note of thanks will go a long way. And as long as you're letting the sponsors know you appreciate their support of water industry education and thought leadership, why not leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, or whatever other podcast directory you access the podcast on. It'd be greatly appreciated and, of course, helps others find out about the podcast. And also, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Very important, the subscription. Well, before we head on to the terrific interview with Shannon and Elizabeth, Let's get to our Bluefield on Tap segment with Bluefield Research's Reese Tisdale. Take it away, guys. Reese, welcome back for another Bluefield on Tap. How are you? Pretty good, Dave. Pretty good. Um, just uh, we're still recovering from a trip to Australia, but uh, <laughs> I'll turn it around next month, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Get back. Get the circadian rhythms back. Um, a lot is going on, man. A lot is going on in the water sector. So, what is uh, rising to the top of your list this month? Well, I mean, as we know, and you've got experience with this having lived in Colorado, but obviously what's happening out West is um, noteworthy um, to say the least. Uh, but I think more specifically, a couple of things that we've been looking at, obviously what's happening with the recent deal among the lower basin states as far as, far as you know, buybacks and such, but also even within Arizona, there's some noise happening around the Senate bill 1660, which 
in a nutshell is a proposal that potentially allows industrial facilities to not only use water, there's use water, treat it, but also discharge it or recharge the groundwater aquifers. Um, and then they get in on the back end, they get to bank credits essentially. And sort of, you know, they can pull from the aquifer down the road, but it's created all sorts of, uh, you know, screaming and shouting within the state of Arizona <laughs> among all the various stakeholders. Well, let's walk through uh, the stakeholder interests, right? So there's, uh, I think the, whenever I think of aquifer recharge, I think of aquifer contamination. So that's, that's one. So can you walk through the stakeholders surrounding that issue? Yeah. Kind of what the- yeah. I think that's a really good point. I mean, so we'll just start with there, right? Anybody who's discharging into the aquifer, I mean, recharging aquifers is somewhat of a relatively new process, right? You know, it's not, that's why it's things like direct potable reuse or indirect potable reuse has been um, somewhat slow to roll out in places like California, for example, because there's a real concern about aquifer, aquifer contamination. But as far as the state, so in that case, the stakeholder would be the Department of Environmental Protection, you know, in Arizona, the regulatory agency that controls water quality. They have to look out for that. Do they have the resources, capabilities to really manage that beyond what's already happening? I mean, I think to have a bunch of industrial facilities recharging makes it that much more complex. It's already fragmented, the market as it is. Um, so that's one set of stakeholders. Another would be just a traditional water service provider or utility. In the case of SB 1660, this bill really hinges on a Nestle, a $675 million Nestle facility that they've proposed to build to basically manufacture creamers, coffee creamers. Um, and so Epcor is sort of the utility service provider. And what it does for them is it disrupts their business model. They don't want they're one, the aquifer contaminated, but they also, they want to provide services to, to Nestle itself. So I'd say that is a big um, stakeholder. And then another is just the politicians themselves. The state of Arizona is really at the epicenter somewhat of the Colorado river uh, basin and what's happening and, and potential cuts. And so politicians need to find ways to cut, uh, water usage in the state. So they're all kind of coming at it from different directions and different angles. And quite honestly, SB 1660 really points to something that I think that everybody wants. We want industrial facilities to be more efficient. We want them to reuse their water, whether it be in Arizona, Colorado, or Massachusetts, for that matter. We want them to be better stewards of the environment. So there's a lot of, uh, work to be uh to be made to sort things through yeah and, and you know the, the politicians are always uh looking they, they want to hold up an example of hey we're creating jobs we're we're expanding and diversifying our tax base and so from from their perspective i i can see why they would want this because it gives another tool in the toolbox for their economic development efforts Oh, I think, you, quite honestly, you hit the nail on the head when it comes to that. I mean, Arizona is, I think, it's a sunbelt state. It's one of the fastest growing in the country over the past 10 years. Population's grown between, you know, 12 to 15 percent. Um, it's a really, it's a, there's, you know, and then industrial-wise is, you know, we've got Nestle who's proposed a facility. Procter & Gamble has proposed a facility. You've got all the semiconductor players. Uh, Red Bull has been through actually a similar type issue 
um, and they worked out a deal a couple of years ago. So there are a lot of companies that want to be there mainly to support the growing population. And it's also a pretty cost-effective place to live, quite honestly, and to have employees. Yeah. Yeah, very good. And you also mentioned the recent uh, federal water deal that involves, uh, you know, I think it's it's a temporary deal through 2026, involves $1.2 billion in federal payments. Uh, so uh, do you have any any thoughts on that recent water deal? Yeah, I think, you know, the Cali- this is what we're talking about is um, the lower basin states, um, uh, California, Arizona, and Nevada have come to terms. Those are the only ones that really the feds have any other any real sway or control over uh, when it comes to working out a deal. But it, it they set aside the federal government had actually set aside dollars. I think it was through the Inflation Reduction Act, maybe IJ. I think it was Inflation Reduction Act to pay off farmers basically to quit using as much water, and it was going to be a real source of cuts. Um, in water usage because the the federal government, the BLM came in and gave a couple deadlines, two of which sort of passed. And it looks like these three basin states have come up with a short-term deal, short-term deal. I think it's a great thing. They came to terms over something. I don't know how sustainable it is though. We can't be paying off farmers for the rest of our lives to, uh, to not use water. So this gets us at least into 2026 and then thereafter, we're going to have to sort of renegotiate this and figure out what to do next. Yeah, uh, it, it kind of sounds like a, a proverbial can being kicked down the road, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah. We'll I see. think we the can's pretty beat up at this point. So <laughs> sooner or later, it's just going to disintegrate and then we're going to have nothing. Yeah. Well, very good. Well, Reese, as always, very insightful. And thank you so much for your time. It's uh, always great speaking with you. And we'll talk to you uh Next in August, I guess, is when we'll we'll hear. Oh, that's right. Everybody takes the holiday around here. That's right. Everybody except for me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Dave, we'll talk soon. All right, see you, Reese. Bye. As always, Reese does a fantastic job telling us about some uh, market information. In this case, uh, Senate Bill 1660 in Arizona concerning aquifer recharge and industrial users. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how that shapes up over the coming months. Now it's time for the main event, the interview with Shannon Quinn and Elizabeth Kinney of Procter & Gamble. So let's get that water flowing. Well, Elizabeth and Shannon, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. So glad you could be on today. How are you today? Doing great. Excellent. Doing very well. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm very excited about our conversation today. Uh, Elizabeth, let's start with you first. Um, Could you tell us, uh, give us a quick background on you and how you came to uh, be involved in the water sector. Sure. So I have been at PNG now for about 12 years. And um, I actually kind of, I would say, stumbled into the water sector in the first role that I was in at PNG. Uh, I was in a corporate communications role. And one of the programs that I supported was our children's safe drinking water program, which I don't know if you're familiar with, but it uses some technology that was developed by one of our scientists on our laundry business to actually purify and create clean drinking water uh, in communities where that's not easily accessible. So that was a really eye-opening role for me where I got to learn about 
um, just access to clean drinking water, water scarcity, water challenges. And uh, and since then, water has really kind of been threaded through every role I've had um, one way or another. I, uh, I've been in our fabric and home care business for the past several years now. When I was on our fabric care business, water um, was a huge topic and focus area for us um, around kind of consumer habit change and how we could enable people to use less water. Uh, when washing clothes. And now on our home care business, I, I work a lot in the water space. I get to partner with Shannon on some work around water restoration, um, but then also focused again on um, on habit change and how we can enable people to use less water, but get clean dishes. Great. Uh, th- thanks for your background, Elizabeth. And Shannon, let's ask you the same question. How did you get to the water sector and what's your background? Yeah, so interestingly enough, I was named after a body of water. So my name Shannon comes from the Shannon River in Ireland. So I kind of feel like I have always been in water in some way. But um, as I grew up, just loving nature, visiting national parks, thanks to my my parents, um, just knowing and seeing how water was the lifeblood of everything that I loved the creatures and animals that I explored under rocks and things like that. So I decided to go into biology and I got my degree in biology and made my way um, into, you know, how can I use that science and biology to influence how cities are are built and how our built environment interacts with the natural environment. So I, I got my degree in my, my master's degree in uh, environmental uh, planning and urban planning, and uh, found myself at P&G. Um, I did a work initially, kind of understanding waste and waste management systems around the world for the for the company about uh, 12 years ago now, and uh, then found that we had amazing opportunity to learn more, understand the role that we could play as a company in water, and for the last six years, that's been my sole focus. So um, happy to have it start from the very beginning and end here. I actually named my son Rio after uh, the, the, the word for river in Spanish and um, planning on being in, in water the rest of my life. So really happy to be here today. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, we're excited to, to, to chat with you. Uh, so let's, let's first start off with uh, let's talk about water commitments and what, what you know, P&G is. And for those who, I mean, we've, we've said P&G, so it's right. It's Procter and Gamble, uh, big company. Could you talk a little about P&G's water commitments? Uh, and I don't know which one of you is best suited to answer this question, but I want to, I want to hear about P&G's water commitments. Sure. So at P&G, we're uh, focused on, building a water positive future. And what that actually means is this future that we envision um, where water is available to sustain people, sustain people and nature now and for generations to come. And, and really to work towards that vision in a concrete way. um, In June, 2022, we announced our water positive future strategy. And this strategy focuses on three areas. The first is to reduce water and manufacturing, making sure our own house is in order. Uh, The second is to restore water in water stressed areas. And the third is to respond to these big water challenges that our world's facing through innovation and partnership. 
Um, and so then within each of those focus areas, we also have uh, metrics that we're tracking against to make sure that we're making progress. And um, so specifically, we have goals within operations, uh, we're really focusing on um, increasing efficiency across our manufacturing sites. Our goal is 35% increase in efficiency um, by 2030 versus our 2010 baseline. Uh, looking at recycling and trying to recycle more water within our operations, um, looking to recycle 5 billion liters of water by the end of the decade. Um, and then within our restoration focus area, we're focused on 18 specific watersheds around the world, and we've committed to restoring more water than our manufacturing facilities consume in these 18 priority areas, um, which are defined watersheds. And then even beyond that, looking at how we can also address the impact um, that's occurring on water when products are used by uh, committing to restore more water than is consumed during the use of our products in Mexico City and Los Angeles. Um, and then in part of our big partnerships uh, and that really focusing on responding to those challenges through partnerships and also the innovation that we've created, um, the Children's Safe Drinking Water Program is working towards delivering 25 billion liters of water, of, of clean water to those who need it. So lots of commitments, but really looking holistically at water, locally at water, and putting some uh, quantitative targets that we can track against and make progress towards that broader vision of a water positive future. Great. Well, I, I, those are some pretty big, um, big goals and, uh, you know, broad and sweeping. And, and I like that you've made sure that they are measurable. Uh, let me ask about uh, how, how you're going to go about achieving those goals. You know, you, the 35% versus the 2010 baseline. What kind of strategies are is P&G using to, to, to implement those goals or to achieve those goals? Yeah, so and to achieve those goals, we're, we're focusing on partnerships. We know across a lot of these things, we can't do it alone. Um, so we're focusing on partnerships, um, building off of the foundation we've already built. So in manufacturing, for example, we've spent decades now working towards having more efficient facilities. Um, and so building off of that, um, setting uh, new programs within the company, building on old programs that are really helping us to increase that efficiency, um, looking outside at, at those other partnerships with innovators and uh, technology companies that can help us go further uh, within our own operations and, and facilities. Um, in restoration, it is we have to partner. We're we're focused really heavily on partnering uh, with those who know the challenges on the ground and who can also implement projects. So for water restoration, what we mean and, and what we mean by restoring water is supporting projects in partnership with others to improve, better manage, uh, or protect freshwater resources. And so really focusing on on finding those partners who have knowledge of the water challenges and the solutions on the ground in order to move those forward in a concrete way. Um, and then the other goals that we have um, and the other focuses we have on, on the innovations and, and partnerships to address challenges like the Children's Safe Drinking Water Program, 
that also relies on partners, partners to deliver the technology that PNG scientists uh, created 20 years ago that, that helps clean 10 liters of water in just 30 minutes and can be in the middle of nowhere um, to deliver those packets and to, to deliver the, the help where it's needed. Um, and then partnering with others to learn more about how we can continue innovating um, and partnerships like uh, we were one of the founders of the 50 liter home coalition and that coalition um, really builds off of our own water chemistry expertise and water efficient products that we've have developed in the past in order to reinvent the future of urban water use and how we can also experiment with new products and new technologies within homes that can help 50 liters of water per day feel like 500 liters, which is what the average person uses um, in, in American homes. Um, so there's lots of ways I would say the the main way we're making progress is, are, is really through these partnerships with others um, and building on the foundation of the experience that we've already had through the years. Yeah. Well, I think you're right. It takes a village, right? You can't, can't do everything alone. Uh, you know, as, as you were sp- talking, I kind of scrolled through some of the, uh, the, the brands that PNG has, and there are so many that are at the interface of how people use water, use water. Mm-hmm. You know, there's oral care, laundry, dish detergent, things like that. So, uh, it really, you know, you may, people may think, oh, that's not, you know, what, what's, what's one company, what can they accomplish? But it, really when you, when you have a company like P&G that is at that interface where, where people react with water inside their homes, it's a, yeah. it can be a, make a big difference. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? Maybe Elizabeth? Yeah. yeah. I mean, working on the brand side, it's been really interesting. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Water is essential to the use of so many of our products. And so thinking about ways to get the same clean, for example, in the categories that I work in, using less water is a huge focus of bars. And and one thing, um, one thing that I think doesn't, um, it doesn't immediately make sense. But then once you start to think about it, um, is a huge opportunity for us is when you look at the life cycle assessment of most of our products in like the home care portfolio, for example, the largest part of the footprint of each of those products is the consumer use phase of that life cycle. So to Shannon's point, we're doing everything possible to reduce impact in our operations and our supply chain. But if we ignore the way that the product gets used in homes, we're missing out on about 80% of the opportunity area. So we spend a lot of time and a lot of energy focused on innovation that enables more um, efficient use of resources, but then also education. Uh, For example, one of the really common misconceptions is that um, hand washing is more efficient than dishwashing. I think if you think about the way that we were raised growing up um, and, you know, the intentions when you're when you're standing at the sink, most people would say they want to use less water and energy. And people doing that often are choosing to hand wash because of the perception that the dishwasher is wasteful versus hand washing. Um, when in reality, being in this space, David, you probably are very well aware, but um, do you know how many gallons of water a dishwasher uses? 
Uh, I'm going to guess seven. It uses less than four gallons in an entire cycle. Um, and an open tap uses that much water in two minutes. So um, helping people understand that the that the sustainable or the um, more um, efficient approach in this case is actually the easier approach because there's always this kind of perception that if I, you know, if I want to adopt a more sustainable habit, I need to do something harder or more frustrating or more time consuming. Um, but helping people understand that the dishwasher was actually designed to save water uh, is, is a huge focus area of ours. Yeah. And the opportunity there, I would say, is huge. Um, I mean, we if we can just get people to reconsider their pre-rinsing habit, for example. So a lot of people are doing the dishwasher's job for them, cleaning the dish almost entirely before putting it in the dishwasher. Um, if we can just get people to rethink that, the savings opportunity is huge because the average person uses about 20 gallons of water every day pre-rinsing dishes before putting them in the dishwasher. So if you extrapolate that, that's a it's about an 80 billion gallon opportunity uh, in households across the U.S. every year. You're right, Elizabeth. Uh, Shannon, can I pivot back to you? And you've mentioned this Children's Safe Drinking Water program a couple times. Uh, and if, if you feel like you haven't fully explained what it is, can you, can you provide a little more detail and some more context around it? Water issues can show up in, in different ways. So water quality, water quantity, and water access. So it was important for us um, to make sure that one of our longest running programs related to water and water access was within our water positive future uh, strategy. And so the Children's Safe Drinking Water program, it's been around now um, for over a decade, and it, and it was really built from a technology that was invented and created within P&G Fabric Care. Um, and this, this technology is a small powder. It's like a, a water purification system in a, in a four-gram uh, pouch that can actually clean turbid water, 10 liters of water in about 30 minutes. And all you need is a cloth, a spoon and, and a bucket. And after 30 minutes, that water is drinkable. And what we found is that this uh, technology was really well positioned to help the immediate need of providing access to water to people um, in areas that didn't have sustainable access to water and even in, in disaster situations. And so the Children's Safe Drinking Water Program has a goal to uh, provide 25 billion liters of clean water to those who need it uh, around the world. And there's already uh, 90 countries where this technology um, and the, the PNG purifier of water packet is being distributed through over 150 partners. Um, and so the, 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 the program itself um, is really uh, exemplifies that uh, the way that one of the many ways we're responding to water challenges through both innovation and partnership with others. That's awesome, Shannon. What about uh, you had mentioned one of the um, one of the uh, programs or goals you're undertaking involves restoration. So can you expand on that and provide a little more uh, depth and breadth on that on the restoration angle? Yeah, so water restoration, I think, can mean different things to different people and different organizations. And for us and many of our partners, when we say 
restoring water, water restoration. What we really mean is supporting projects through partnership that help to improve, better manage, or protect freshwater resources. Um, and we're specifically focused on doing that in 18 water-stressed areas around the world. And um, and to, and really for the first time as well, like focused on not just manufacturing and, and looking at the water that's consumed during manufacturing and how we can um, restore that amount of water. There's There are many companies doing that and it's amazing. Um, but going beyond that and kind of what Elizabeth had touched on before about having a lot of our water footprint across our products being in the consumer use phase when products are actually being used. And so we wanted to look at how we could um, address that impact and do that specifically in two major urban areas where uh, we have significant business and where water is extremely stressed. And so that's Los Angeles and Mexico City. And so what we're doing and the way that we're delivering against our targets, our restoration targets, is by partnering with those who know the issues, they're uh, also familiar with the solutions and they can get that work done on the ground. So we're partnering with them. Um, groups like the Bonville Environmental Foundation are, are helping to connect us with partners uh, on the ground, um, local NGOs, national NGOs that are helping to identify projects that will improve, better manage, or protect water resources um, and gives not only a volume, which is what we're looking at, like a volume of water that's being made better or is now available when it wasn't before, but also other important benefits, community benefits. Um, there's projects that have, that create new recreational spaces for local communities or benefits to helping to mitigate flood risk or benefits to, to uh, endangered species like the monarch butterfly or uh, creating new habitat or native habitat. So, you know, we, we're using the target to help us track progress, the restoration target and setting a volume target for ourselves. But we're also looking at this holistically and, and seeing all of the other benefits and telling the story of how if you help water, water helps everything around it. You know, when you have water, you have life. And so that's um, a really exciting part of our overall water positive future strategy and one that we'll continue delivering against. Right now we have uh, uh, just over 20 projects that we're supporting um, throughout the United States and we'll be looking to expand into some of our other priority areas, which include places in, uh, in the US, continuing in the US, in Mexico, China, India, Spain, Italy, and Turkey. Yeah, well, that's awesome, Shannon. Thanks so much for that. Uh, is it, let me ask you this about, I mean, P&G has so many brands, right? Does P&G have specific brands that are participating in these yeah. water conservation goals? Yeah, so um, one, you know, I think Elizabeth touched on this too about just the opportunity we have through our brands. We're in 5 billion you know, touching 5 billion lives every day and um, are inside of people's homes. And so it was uh, really important for us to make sure that we were partnering with brands and businesses in order to have the maximum positive impact we can have through this program. Um, and so when we were looking out there at, at products that need water to be used, 
the products within home care, um, there's several of them that need water to be used. And so uh, Elizabeth and I worked together to think about how we could address these water challenges holistically from the viewpoint and from the perspective of a brand. And so Cascade is a really great example of a brand that's been able to partner um, with us to help us learn in this space uh, as we've just launched the goal in June, 2022, but also then to expand it and for us to build on, um, on the progress we're making against our goals. So they are supporting uh, six water restoration projects, they being Cascade in the United States. And they're really ranging from leak detection projects in Los Angeles, where we're putting, uh, helping to support the Pacific Institute and Bonneville Environmental Foundation um, install leak detectors on toilets. Toilets are actually the biggest wasters of water within multifamily buildings. And so it's not necessarily a, a really you know, elegant project. It's simple and uses an amazing technology where we detect leaks very quickly and have shown that, we, that through that project, 20% of the building's water can actually be conserved. Um, so from those kind of more urban inside of home projects to meadow restoration projects in Northern California um, to helping to uh, pipe a, a irrigation ditch that helps to reduce the amount that's being evaporated from that ditch and save water for people in nature to supporting the Colorado River Indian tribes conservation system conservation project which which is helping to shore up um, water in Lake Mead which we all know is um, really having some struggles these days so Cascade is a great example of that um, and I think there's you know hopefully more to come on how brands can get involved, not only in restoration, but also in, in educating consumers and getting product that into people's homes that really helps to reduce their impact. Yes. Yeah, I, um, I've known Shannon for a while and was really excited when she stepped into this role because obviously water is a passion of mine and I, I get to touch it um, and through our work with Cascade and Dawn and some of our other brands. Um, but when I when I found out that she was beginning to shape this goal, this public commitment uh, was really excited because Cascade has been um, working for a while on what our real kind of holistic approach to water would be. I think across our home care business, we think about sustainability through the lens of uh, this framework of um, our home, which is our operations, your home, which is your home, David, and how you use our products, and then the home we share. And that work in the home we share, we we were really thinking about how do we impact water more broadly? Uh, yes, in our own operations, we're always working to uh, use water more responsibly, more efficiently. We're working to enable people to do the same in their homes, but we knew there were broader issues around water. And uh, and Shannon really helped us put together how Cascade could uh, play a role there through partnerships, particularly with uh, the Bonneville Environmental Foundation's Change the Course program, which has just been a really exciting way for us to engage uh, and and have an impact in that space. So, uh, Elizabeth, let me ask, let me put it to you in terms of how can, how can corporate America or how can a company really leverage its position and, and, you know, what, what does a company need to do to be successful in this space? 
I mean, David, I guess I would say, I think at PNG, we're really lucky to have someone like Shannon. I've known Shannon for a really long time. And so when she stepped into this role, uh, it, it was really exciting for us because she she definitely, I think, helps ensure that we direct our efforts in this space in the right way. As you know, probably better than anyone, David, water is a uh, a very local, very personal and very passionate topic. And so having someone who um, is as well informed and well connected in this space as Shannon was really critical for us as we started to shape how we wanted to um, how we wanted to show up in this space and who we wanted to partner with and what our impact was going to look like. So it's just been great to be able to have that dialogue with her and really have her help direct our efforts in the space so that they can be the most impactful. Very much appreciate that and, and love the work that I do. And it really also recognizing that the work that I do wouldn't be possible without um, brands and individuals like Elizabeth that have kind of that broader vision in mind and, and creativity that they're able to use also to think um, beyond what kind of has been done before. Um, I, th I think to be successful as within a business, you need to know your brand, you need to know your consumers, mm -hmm. starting from this consumer insight, and as well as this a product that just works really well is, is essential. Um, and that's really where people could stop. But I think now, um, and Elizabeth and the team in Cascade specifically, they didn't stop there. They, they really looked at the whole issue and saw that yeah, in there are water challenges, very urgent water challenges, and we can be um, a small part, at least, of 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 addressing those challenges. And so, going beyond that, making sure their own house is in order, working on reducing water manufacturing, working on uh, helping people in homes reduce water usage, while also having a great experience with the product, which is really important, um, and then also educating to even go further than that to help educate on the issues but then how how people can have an immediate impact and going beyond to our collective home to really address water issues where people are living and and where water is coming from and so i think and that was through those restoration projects which is the first brand that's that's stepped out and done that and i think they've seen it um, seeing that success, been able to demonstrate the success of thinking about these water issues holistically and coming with their strengths and building new strengths and partnerships. And so um, having those individuals is always very important. And, uh, and I'm very excited to see how that's grown and how that success can also um, lead to other success and other opportunities, hopefully with other brands in the future. Right. Well, Elizabeth and Shannon, you've been fantastic today. I've learned, I've learned a lot. It's, uh, it's been very interesting. So thank you for coming on. Uh, before we depart though, do, uh, do either of you have a kind of a leave behind message that you would like to leave the listeners with? So I, I would start, but would love to give Elizabeth the opportunity to, I think sometimes these issues seem in the news. I don't think there's anyone in the world that hasn't turned on the news or scrolled on their phone and seen some devastating news about water levels and reservoirs or rivers that are suffering. And, and it can be really daunting as well as like all climate related issues. But um, I think it's just going back to first starting to think about what it is that 
we can all do as individuals. Um, and maybe that's even within your own work or jobs, but it's definitely can start within your homes. And, and so I think um, thinking about the products that you're purchasing and using in the context of water in your area, if there's challenges facing water, um, how can what you do in home have a positive impact, even if it feels small, I think when you add it up across many people, millions of people, billions of people, it can actually have a big impact. Um, so I would just say, uh, recognize that there are big, big issues out there and that we can all be part of the solution and um, we can start in our homes. Then I think mine would be um, just to, back to the point of water really being a local issue. I think we often think that we t- sometimes it can be tempting to think about or take a one-size-fits-all approach. And I think in the space of water, um, given given how local of an issue and conversation water is, really finding and identifying experts in the space who are deeply connected to local communities. I think that's where we're really fortunate to have our partners at um, at the Bonneville Environmental Foundation in particular, who have connections with local communities and other partners um, who do, because it is such a such a personal and, and local issue for so many. And so we want to make sure we're approaching and doing work really in the right way. Awesome. Elizabeth, Shannon, thank you so much. It's been great speaking with you. Great getting to know you a little bit. Uh, for those who want to find out more about you and your work, where can they go to get that information? Uh, to learn about our corporate programs and strategy, you can head over to pg.com. Um, and uh, you, that's really the gateway to start to learn more about this. Also check out our um, PNG Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter accounts. We post a lot about the projects that we're supporting and other initiatives that we have um, and brands and products and, and different ways to save water on those platforms as well. Yeah, and I would, the other thing I would say is obviously our Cascade platforms, but then um, Change the Course has really great descriptions of projects that uh, that we're working on right now and the impact of those projects. So that's another great, um, great resource to check out. Great. Well, Elizabeth, Shannon, thank you again. It's been great talking with you and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Thank, thank you. you. Awesome job, Shannon and Elizabeth. You were terrific and I really appreciated our conversation. It's good to know that a company at the interface of water usage in the home is taking such an interest in water conservation, efficiency, restoration, and much more to achieve that water-positive future. Good job, P&G. Well, I'd love to know what you thought about the interview. Please check out the show notes page for information and links on this episode. Just Google the Water Values Podcast. Click the first link that comes up. That's our landing page on Bluefield Research's website. Again, The Water Values LLC and Bluefield Research are not affiliates. We just have a joint marketing arrangement. And as part of that, Bluefield gives us a home on the web. Well, if you still use Twitter, you can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag WaterValues. And you can tweet at me using my handle at DTM1993. You can email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com. And you can sign up for the newsletter at that landing page as well. And thank you again for tuning in. I hope you make it a great day and have a terrific summer if you're in the Northern Hemisphere. Plus, I want to give a huge thank you to our sponsors. Again, sponsors of the Water Values Podcast include Xylem, the American Waterworks Association, Black & Veatch, Trinex, Mentor APM, Woodard & Curran, and Interra. This show would not be possible without those great companies and industry leaders. 
And again, thank you for listening and for subscribing to the Water Values Podcast. Your support is truly appreciated. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Well, thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.